Hey, this is uh, Zach Dolan. I am the co-writer and penciler for Super Woo! for uh, Top 5 Comics. Welcome to Top 5 Comics, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Here with us today, we have Mike. What's up? We also have Curtis. Hello. And keeping everything together, we have CBS. Jazz hands. <laughs> and we also have Rob. Hi. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that's Rob. Uh, so today we're doing episode number 65. All right. Uh, Book-wise, we'll be doing uh, Quake number one for the uh, 50 Years of S.H.I.E.L.D. Marvel one-shot book. Uh, Batman 44, Faster Than Light, or FTL, number one from Image Comics. Uh, Star Wars... Journey to Star Wars, Shattered Empire, Taco Sunday, mm. number one, and Justice League number 43. I don't really think we have any news this week, book-wise. However, um, if you're not aware, we did show up, uh, we got a little shout-out in the back of the uh, most recent issue of uh, Deadly Class from uh, Image Comics. Uh, issue number, is it 15? I think it's 16. 16? I think. Blue cover. I put pictures on Facebook. Not that it helps. With talking, with words. Anyway, so Mr. Remender, thank you, sir. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Why were you featured back there? Well, there's pictures of the store. And oh. We sell their books. Signs. So you had a display. We had a display in there, yes. Okay. We had a display in, of their... Special display. Books, yes. Rick Remender stuff. Yes. Okay. That's true, sir. Okay, just making sure. Hey, we were featured there. Yay! Yay! No purpose whatsoever. Well, that's not what the... You know, if you see it... Rick. That's what it there you go. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> why you guys got to try to bring me down, mister? I'm not. I'm trying to help. Okay. Explain why we're back there. Oh, right, right. Okay, okay. Try to make sense of my nonsense? Get a haircut. Get a real job. It's part of a song. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that was the books. <laughs> so we got no... Uh, trying to think, is there, like, is there any other actual news? We, we have no Outcast is going to be a TV show. Um, they're already filming the Preacher TV show. Um, I feel like there was another one that was newer, but no, I don't remember that for sure. Wes Craven died. Oh, Wes, yeah, Wes really? Craven died, yeah. What happened? Old age. He was like 71 or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Right before the Scream TV, or TV show was coming oh, out. Oh, that's right, yeah. They're going to Scream TV show getting ready to happen. Which uh -huh. is un unfortunate. Not the show, but necessarily the... Until the show comes out, it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um... <laughs> I wouldn't even have put together until you mentioned it that you were saying the show was unfortunate. But <laughs> well, you know, I got to point out the you know the obvious. Out of, out of the, all the, the movies TV. that are out there, they make one after Scream. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm, uh, Scream is okay. Yeah. Okay. But it's just a slasher, I feel like. You know. That's what I like. How far can they go with it? 
dive. I think it, it met the penultimate ending with like scary movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Was that the same thing? What is that clown face or whatever his name is? Ghostface. Ghostface. Yes. Yeah, I'm just not at that big of a fan. And I seen the first one in the theaters when I was a young lad. Sorry. Uh-huh. And my sister hated Nev Campbell because her boyfriend liked her. That's huh. What I remember from. Uh-huh. Okay. But I, I liked the first one, and then it's gone downhill ever since then. Yeah, I I mean, I don't like Courtney Cox at all. No. And David Arquette was okay, but yeah. there's just nothing. And then we had uh, Johnny Depp light Skeet Ulrich. Go with Skeet. Yeah. yeah I, I just liked that the villain got really beaten the hell out of, like... I thought that made more sense than most horror films, mm-hmm. you know, where the people just run away blindly. I mean, like, yeah, things thrown at them, hit them in the groin, hit in the head with stuff. What was uh, what was Skeet's name in that? Was it Johnny? Probably. I don't remember that. Because my favorite line was from Matthew Lillard, where, oh, you cut me pretty deep, Johnny. My parents are going to be so pissed off at me. <laughs> That's my favorite <laughs> line of that movie. It must be, then. Yeah. I, don't remember, I don't remember his name. In it's the- a scream, baby. That's Shaggy, right? Yeah, he was, yeah I think shaggy. he was the best part of that movie. Uh, and I don't even like the dude. It's understandable. What? You want me to stop slapping myself? Yes. Okay. Please. Some bitch. Okay, well, since there's not a whole lot of news nonsense to go through, it's what happens when Ross is in here. You people should write in and complain to him. <sighs> You want to start with, uh, unless you got something else, Rob, you got something else over there? No. No? All right. Anything? No? More? Um, Stuff? Was there anything out on Batman and Superman movie? Not anything new, I don't said it's going to feature more Batman and Superman is just part of it. Huh. Mm. That's what I heard. I don't know if it's truth. Hear tell? Well, the word is they're talking about three Batman movies with... With uh, Benny. Yeah, he's going to write and direct one or something. At least one of them, yeah. With the good guy is a good director. Uh, well, I guess we'll see what, if he can write comics or not. I mean, write, write a comic movie? Do, comic movie, do yes. You, do you want to talk Mallrats or no? Um, I know you love I, I, You know, I do like Mallrats. Smith's not my favorite person in the world. But uh, yeah, what are you saying? that uh, They're going to start filming that in... January in Pennsylvania. January in Pennsylvania. So, folks, if you're in Pennsylvania, I guess... Look for the Smith lot of filming things. Yeah. The word is they're going to blow up a mall. So there must be a mall getting ready to be demolished out there. I think the Exeter or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Almost worth a road trip just to cause problems. You're going to try to screw up the filming, right? And people die. I don't want that to happen. He's not going to be silent when I get done with him. Yeah. (laughs) Things are funny. Uh, all right, well, let's go ahead and move on to, <laughs> okay, it's, uh, let's go and move on to, uh, books, Rob. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. All right. You want to tell us a story about Quake? Sure. Old Daisy Johnson from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah. Uh, she's going to be a little bit interesting as time goes by because the Quake from the comic universe is uh, quite a bit different from the Quake from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV universe, so we'll see. We'll see if she gets uh, how that all works out. But This story is surprisingly taking place a long time ago. Like You have to go way back in the annals of uh, Avenger lore. 
Like 2010 old? Yeah. Yes. So. But basically, it's, uh, Nick Fury has just been kind of outed again, I guess, as a part of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Nick Fury Jr. hasn't quite stepped into the role, so I think it's still Maria Hill that's running it. Um, and the Avengers are working rather closely with S.H.I.E.L.D. at the time. And so, um, kind of one of the big things we have at the very beginning is that she's being interrogated for some kind of a, a crime or some breach in her S.H.I.E.L.D. protocol. And then we flash back to what the the reasoning is. And it's basically that um, Captain America actually wanted her to be a part of the Avengers team that was heading in before the S.H.I.E.L.D. mop-up team to take on this uh, Hydra base. And she's kind of going around and seeing all the shield or all the Avengers agents and kind of wondering why is she here? Because they have a spy with Spider Woman, they have a sniper with Hawkeye, they have a soldier with the Guardian, they have a computer with the Vision, they have a monster. Uh, yeah, well, I was gonna go with the the duck sound. And a quack, an oh, Iron Man. They have a quack with Iron <laughs> Man. All right. <laughs> they have a monster with the Red Hulk. Um, and they have a leader with Captain America, so it's like, well, why, why am I even here? And they kind of go through this whole, like, getting her ready to go out and be a part of it, and Captain America's like, yeah, you'll do fine. And, like, everybody kind of leaves the plane on their own, their own way of doing things. It's like the Hulk just jumps out of it, so, pretty cool. But, uh, we get to kind of see the, the battle with Haya, with the AIM soldiers there, and everybody's kind of, like, doing their own thing, and she's talking about how... What they do is beyond the kind of combat that a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent would do. And the way that they operate is is totally different. And uh, she kind of like bumbles her way through the through the battlefield a little bit. And she eventually catches uh, somebody running out the field of battle into this little shack. When she gets there, it's uh, some kind of freaky looking alien thing. And a whole handful of kid alien things. They're inhumans. Are they in humans? They're in humans. Hmm. Yeah, it's a batch of kids being protected by the older inhuman. They do look very alien, but they're inhumans. And the the adult inhuman is trying to convince her that these kids won't be any better off if she'll take some. There'll be experiments, and you should let them go. And it's very like, what what choice do you make, right? And this whole time she's getting messages from cap and everybody else like where is she at and of course they have a doorway like an open portal type thing to get go through and in the end she makes the decision to to let them leave the battlefield you know so they won't be manipulated by either shield or aim and uh, then she destroys the portal and of course Iron Man and the other guys are like what the hell why do you do this you know um, ultimately she's took into custody by the S.H.I.E.L.D. group, and they're, like, trying to interrogate her at the end of it, which brings her circle to, like, a full a full circle, where she kind of tells her ideals of why she let things be the way they are, and Captain America comes out and is basically like, okay, well, that's why I wanted you as a part of the Avengers, you know, because you, we needed to have it heart. We need to have somebody who makes, like, the moral decisions and keeps us honest. And it's like, all right, we got another mission. Let's go. 
so it's a, it's an okay story. It's kind of a good one. I didn't catch that they were in humans. I thought they were aliens. No, they're in humans. Hmm. Either way, um, it did. It makes sense for the time that this book would have came out because she was rocking number one with the Avengers and really didn't seem to fit much of a purpose. And throughout time, they've had people like that. Like um, you had the Rick Jones character that would show up and kind of was, you know, the everyman who didn't have superpowers. Like you'd kind of be like, "Hey, wait a minute, let's do this differently." I mean, ultimately, it's a pretty cool little story. It's a nice focus on her. Um, she's a lot less ruthless and a lot weaker than I think I've ever read her portrayed before, though. Now, most of the stuff she was in was in Secret Warriors, and that was a lot different. We had Nick Fury leading the group, and story-wise, it's supposed to be like a an origin, I guess, kind of, in the comic book world. I mean, she's been around for a while as a character, but as far as, like, solo mission stuff, I think I think it's just a, a flashback to sort of explain her in the comic world, and I don't know if... I don't know if that... Without having read the Mockingbird one, it's hard to say how it stands up to that one. Because they did the Mockingbird issue right before this one, so... Which actually looked really, really good as well. Uh, and who knows, I mean, this may be also laying the groundwork to have her play a bigger role in Marvel once it does its relaunch. Maybe. You know, score for the book, Rob? Um, you know, it was a pretty good book. I'd, I'd give it probably a three, Okay, I think. All right. Uh, Mr. Mike? What? You read The Quake? Use the quake. I did not. Okay. The, so it would not be fair quack. for me to uh, right. throw a number at it. No worries. Curitas. I like Daisy Johnson yeah. as a character. She was awesome in Secret Warriors. Yeah. I think that was the best thing that came out of the Secret Wars from 04. Yeah. Brian Michael Bendis, ugly crap. Um, I like the character. I'll probably give that book a two, though. Right. It just doesn't portray her the way I like her. Yeah, it's not the way we saw her in Secret Warriors. Secret Warriors, mm-hmm. Secret Warriors she was a little more uh, kind of a bitch. She was like Maria Hill's second-in-command. Right. She was involved in that <clears throat> that uh, story called Secret War, right? Yeah, that's what yeah. I just said. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought... The 2010 or 2004 one? 2004 with Brian Michael Bendis and Gabriel Delato. Who was the villain in that? It was some... Uh, um, what variant chick or something? Yeah, what's is that? Name? Is that the right one? My, I think so. on the right track. Yeah, I can't remember. That. I don't remember. I, I, wasn't I, I have it. I just—it's been a well, while. Yeah, I have the trade. But she was cool in that. Well, um, you know, I—I I give it a two and a half. Like the art, the art's pretty decent. The story's the story's not bad, but it's it's not the way they, the way it starts out and becomes a full circle. That was pretty cool. I, I do like like the her and Tony Stark arguing throughout it. It was pretty awesome because this is shortly after Tony's been dethroned from Shield, and also shortly after Norman Osborn is no longer the master of Shield. So um, every time we talk trash, she'd throw that in his face that he used to be the director, which is pretty funny. I mean, take that, Tony Stark. And that's who that chick on the TV show that's supposed to be. The uh, the girl the girl on the TV series the, um, Sky Sky they've connected her to Daisy Johnson or made her Daisy Johnson so yes she's Quake um, character wise the show she's definitely portrayed different but they also started her out a different way 
Not bad, I don't think. I mean, as far as the two things are concerned, it'll be interesting to see what the next series season's like for her. Because in the show, I think, I believe she's supposed to be inhuman, right? Well, in the comic book, she is, too. In the oh. comic book, she's inhuman, um, inhuman mother and father was Mr. Hyde. Um, so, Hydra experiment, because Mr. Hyde is a ex- experiment gone wrong. Um, in the TV series, it's basically the same thing. So, the origin for her is not that different. It's just the introduction to her being sky first and like hiding her background or whatever it was just a th- i guess the taking of the character for the th- for the shows so we had something new we were meeting at the same time we we're meeting the cast but as far as the comics are concerned it, her and mr high being her father i don't really feel like there's been a lot of books that played to that but it's it's been a thing for a while i mean Mr. Hyde's been around for a long time. I mean, Christ, the way he was dressed before is basically green suit, monster mm-hmm. face, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde style. Yeah, he was like a daredevil villain. Yeah, for a yeah, he was. Mm-hmm. Mr. Hyde? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. Um, back when I started getting comics in like the late 90s, there was a... Mr. Hyde was in the Hulk book. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. Like one issue. And they were on an airplane, and Mr. Hyde put their airplane in a nosedive. And then they did their, dra- their fight. Mr. Hyde jumps out the window, and then the Hulk has to go to the front of the plane, and he stops the plane from landing into the ground by being the buffer between the plane and it. That's crazy. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. That's my first foray into Mr. Hyde, and I'm like, that's a cool character. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's, he fought a bunch of different characters and been around for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and him and the Cobra used to be a team. Oh, gosh, man. That's a ways back there, too. Yeah, a long time ago. But yeah, like she, her being connected to him is is something from the comic books. The TV series uses it too. Granted, age-wise, things are a little bit different, but it is what it is. Have they had Mr. Hyde on the TV show? Her father, yeah. Depending what season of the show you're in, you may have not seen him yet. If you're still in season one, season season two, he's in kind of a lot. And I don't, yeah, we we're not the three yet, so yeah, he's he's in there. All right, uh, so let's move on to Batman 44. This is uh, written by Mr. Scott Snyder and art by Jacques. Is that right, Mike? Was yeah. it Snyder and Azarello and then Jacques? No, I don't think Azarello did anything with this. Azarello's. Oh, yeah, he did, I guess. For something, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably co-plot. Possibly. I didn't realize he was on there. That's, that's my bad. This particular book takes place... Just after Zero Year. So the timeline-wise where it falls in the series is not during the current books. It's kind of weird why, how they... Uh, you know, I just don't... I think it would have fit better, like Rob said this earlier today. Like, it would have fit better if it was a de- detective comic story. Yeah. Because it feels more like a detective comic story. Now, granted, this the majority of what's in here is to give some backstory to a new character we just met in, like, issue 43 um, of Batman. But this particular story, we start out with Batman on the outskirts of town, and uh, he's called Gordon because he's found a body. And the body's been shot a few times, but the bullets weren't what killed him. Uh, apparently, he also fell from, like, I don't know, a thousand feet in the sky. So, Batman assumes he's thrown out of a plane or a blimp or something. Um, and then detective work starts, pretty much. And he made a list of people and told um, Jim that he wants him to... Check, trace the bullet. We're going to try to figure out where the bullet came from because Batman's decided he's going to go after the killer. And granted, again, this is supposed to be back timeline wise after the Joker's or after the Riddler story, but prior to 
a bunch of the other uh, super villain types. Fairly, he was still fairly new. Newer to <clears throat> doing it still, yes. Not as far as how new, I don't totally know that. But it, he's definitely not the Batman we currently deal with. Well, or dealt with five issues ago. Or more like the beginning of the series, Batman. Yes, not in his prime. How about that? Anyway, um, art-wise, as the story moves along, like we get a whole bunch of newspaper clippings that we wind up getting to read, and different pieces of him basically detective work. Um, the traces of what the kid did, who the kid was, who the kid was connected to, and we wind up finding out that the, the boy's father owned like a small a bodega in a bad part of town, and the father got sick, and so the son had been running it, and the boy was only 15. Um, so, running the entire store in, in this criminal neighborhood, he decided he needed help, and so he started looking for whoever could help him, and uh, as the story unfolds, we want to find out he tried a few different things, and eventually he had to turn to the criminals, which ultimately doesn't lead him to the right path. Um, eventually, throughout the story, we, we deal with the penguin a little bit, we deal, deal with a bunch of just random street thug types, um, and then we wind up him going to the last place in that particular area that people go to when they're just done, which is like a weird alleyway they call... Oh, it's got a name. It's a flower name. Um, Rob, do you remember what the name of the alleyway was? Do you have it there? Mm, looking for it real fast. Okay. Well, there was something, <clears throat> something about how his father or something didn't want that gang, that street gang, the the four fives involved in any way, shape, or form with his store or something. Right. Yeah. His uh, older, his brother, I assume older brother, had become part of the four fives, and I got him dead. And so the father wanted nothing to do with that gang, which is the same gang the younger brother's trying to keep the store from, which is what led him to the penguin because the penguin was not aligned with that particular gang at the time. So it's like less of the two enemies. So it's called Blossom Row. Blossom it's, Row. It's got no name now, but it used to be called Blossom Row. So back during this time frame, like in current Gotham, I guess it doesn't have a name, but at that point, Blossom Row, and apparently it's supposed to be the place people went when they were just done. They had given up, so a place to die, I guess. Anyway, uh, so our, our boy, he winds up going there after being shot, and... Uh, at least I think he was shot beforehand. I think, I think it's this might be right before him getting shot. shot. Yeah. Okay. So he go. He basically decided to go there because he couldn't trust. After he made the deal with Cobblepot, um, Cobblepot made a deal with the four fives, and the gift, gang. Yeah, that's right. He gifted the store. And to gifted them. the store to them, um, which didn't make the kid happy. So the kid elected to go to the Blossom Row, and there you meet. Uh, what's the guy's name with the flower in his face? New villain. I don't recall what. Uh, they don't uh, name him in this issue, but I, think I they can't recall what they find or something like that. I don't remember. We met him in the last issue, forty-three. Um, anyway, he's there, and we see him in the suit. He basically gives the kid this drug that's a mix of um, venom, and they say something else, but I can't remember um, what it is. Dr. Langstrom's uh, yeah, man-bat formula. Man-bat stuff and, and mixed together. And it basically gives him superpowers, um, super strength, uh, but also makes him rageful, so he's not in control of himself. Anyway, he goes after the gangs. In the process of going after the gangs, he winds up torturing the father's store so they couldn't have it, beats the crap out of a whole bunch of them, then gets himself shot. 
um, by a police officer who had been sent down there because of the battle between the two gangs. And, of course, the cop didn't act right, really, but at the same time, he's in the middle of a gang battle. He doesn't know who's good, who's bad, what the problem is. Anyway, so we wound up shooting the kid once. Well, they shot the kid a couple times. Because he wouldn't, you know. Anyway, it, it doesn't matter how many times he saw him. He shot him. And then the, the police officer made himself scarce in order to get away from the scene. Later on, he finds out the boy didn't die, and he'd walked, wandered off. Well, part of the powers he got went to make him be able to fly. Problem with the powers, when you take them that way, they don't last forever. So ultimately, he wound up where he was because of himself. Um, but during the story, as far as like whose fault it was, the main thing Batman wanted to get out of this was to catch the killer. Like, who killed him? Like, uh, yeah, because he, he knew that uh, Cobblepot used um, blimps. Right. Over, and, and, and that his uh, ra- roots were, roots, routes were over the marsh. Right, that same area with the body. So he, I think he assumed. There's Cobblepot, yeah. Right. Well, no, his whole point in the story was that he wants to bring this killer to justice. Well, it turns out that the reason the boy died was because of a lot of people, and it wasn't just a clear-cut kind of thing. So I think what they're really trying to show in this story is that earlier on, Batman realized that not everything was one particular person, because there's a point where Bruce Wayne is even involved at a uh, function where he's announcing a new batch of apartment buildings that are going to be built to make life better in that area, and the boy tries to get Bruce's attention and tries to get Bruce's help. Bruce didn't see him and couldn't hear him in the crowd, so Bruce Wayne failed him, the Penguin failed him, both sets of gangs failed him, and then he took the drugs and basically wound up killing himself because the cops didn't help him either because he went to the cops early on. The Penguin did mention to Batman <clears throat> when he was uh, interrogating him is that you, you don't know this city. You, right. You, you don't know how, how these things work. Right. So I think it was kind of driving home a point to where Batman was new Yeah. at the time, newer, and he didn't really... Well, I think overall this particular story is just trying to lay out the idea of, of, of him realizing that not everything can be black and white and building a little bit of backstory for the new villain from the last issue. Yeah, Mr. Bloom. Mr. Bloom. Okay. Because so we hadn't, be prior to number 43, I don't think any of us ever seen him before. So this lays out that he's been around for a minute. How far that's going to go, don't know. Still weird that it's a Batman book, but because we introduced him last issue, I think that's why. Um, anyway, story-wise, it's a pretty good story. I mean, it's kind of a Batman fell story a little bit, which I don't generally enjoy. But as far as the book, I don't know. I give it three and a half. It's pretty good. I, I like it. Uh, Rob? Yeah, I'm going with three and a half. I actually really like this. Uh, I, I think it should be a detective comic story, just because it feels more like a detective story than a typical Batman story. But I actually thought it was really well done. I like how it linked back to everything. And even though it touches on a few subjects that I'm not super happy with, I felt like it was portrayed really well. And I like how, how the story all fell into place. So uh, It is odd, though, to go and have a standard Batman story while we're still trying to you know, do robot bat suit, you know, bat bunny suit. But whatever. Yeah, Mr. Mike? Oh, I'll give it a... I'll agree. I'll give it a three and a half. Story was all right. The art, I liked the art, the layouts, um, the artwork over the newsprint was pretty cool. 
I like Jacques' art mm. for the most part. See, I'm not a fan. It took me a little while to understand that he was using the, the glide component from his cape as he took it off and used it like as a pole to beat people down. I'm yeah. like, what the heck is going on? And then the coloring, you know, was pretty, you know, in, in uh, some places it was pretty cool how they used color and or lack thereof. Mm. It, that, I just like that. I like how it was laid out. So. Mm. Mr. Curtis? I like Jock. Never liked his art. Mm. Well, earlier stuff, probably. I'll probably give it a two and a half. Mm. It's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, I, I think the story outshine the artwork because I'm not a fan either. But it was a pretty good story, I thought. Well, I think it's interesting. We're it's just trying a weird in a weird place. Yeah. Release wise, but I think, like I was saying, the main reason I believe it's released where it is is to build a backstory for that character. Because up to this point, he basically just appears out of nowhere. So. I think that's what he was doing. But yeah, it, the way it's set up, it's more like a detective comic story than a Batman story. But as far as placement's concerned, I'm pretty sure that's the only reason it's there. Pretty sure. I mean, you know. Anyway, um, alright, so it's we can move on to uh, Faster Than Light. <clears throat> Curtis? Faster Than Light. Put out by Image in Shadowline Comics. Shadowlands kind of a darker imprint of image. <laughs> it's Robert Kirkman's imprint. No, that's Skybound. Oh, that's right. And uh, created by Brian Haberlin and Skip Brittenham. Story and illustration by Brian Haberlin. Colors by Gerard Van Dyke. And lettering and AR data by Francis Takanaga. So we may remember some Brian Haberlin. He kind of did a spawn run in 2006, I think. Right, yeah, for a little um, bit. What brought him to prominence for me was his coloring on Kiss Psycho Circus. And I don't know why. Wow. And he did some art for Spawn God Slayer. So he's had his foot in writing and art. So good stuff. He did some other stuff for Image, like with, uh, uh, God, what is that stupid book? Cyber Force, maybe? Oh, Cyber Force, yeah. I think back in 94-ish. So he's been in the game for a while. Okay. Uh, I don't remember enough about Cyber Force to, to know that. I, I was just going to say, I like Me Cyber Force. So. But Faster Than Light, it's kind of a sub-theme to the whole book. The bigger theme is space exploration, which is possible with Faster Than Light travel. And funny enough, I had a conversation with one of my co-workers about Faster Than Light. And he said, nothing can go faster than light. And I'm like, well, the Enterprise can. He said, nope, it's warping space around it. And I'm like, you son of a gun. Just like, <laughs> event, just like Event Horizon. Okay. How they can just warp, you know what I mean? Right. Hold space. So this has a little write-up in the beginning from William S. Burroughs. Man is an artifact designed for space travel. He is not designed to remain in his present biologic state any more than a tadpole is designed to remain a tadpole. So that's a pretty good opening for the whole book. And we open up with like a talk show. The guy's name is Charlie Live, and he's got uh, a scientist named Frederick, Fredericks, or Saul Fredericks, who has kind of he created the uh, the ability for faster than light travel through his uh, equations. Right. He solved it. Right. So they're kind of have this back and forth about him not creating faster than light, but having created the ability to get to faster than light 
And we're in the distant future. I don't know how far in the future we are. I'm guessing within 100 years. Um, so we flash from that to meeting the captain and the dock in a vessel up to go to the new ship that's being refit. When they get there, they meet the prior captain of that ship, who is Commander Grissom. And there's kind of a, I guess, a headbutting between the two. And Yeah, there's tension because the new, new captain replaced her. She speaks out that it's not because you stole my ship or took my command. Um, I still have people that I picked for the crew, and you have your people. And we find out that he's been sent to this new ship, which has been, like I said, refitted. So it's twice the size of its normal size. And it's only, like, running at 76%. You want me to move this real quick? Okay. It's only running at 76%. They're going down on a shakedown cruise, but they don't have the years it would take to get everything out of the ship. I do ask for texting. Testing, gosh. Actual testing. Right. And they make a lot of references about it. Old, new technology being built on top of old technology. And they don't have the ability to get all the bugs out of it because they're sent to, that we find out, they're sent to um, solve this problem of aliens, I guess you could say. That's the best suggestion I can come up with from it. From what they show us, it looks like an evil monster thing that I, apparently wants to kill us. Yeah, I assume that we've just discovered that there might be life out there, mm -hmm. and so now it's, let's find out how to kill it. So, and they actually say that the captain's out there to find allies and technology with which to take this alien race out. And we do see that Dr. Fredericks is on the ship, so this is kind of a retelling of his time on the ship. But we cut back to Dr. Fredericks talking to Charlie, and he says that he's glad he's not out there. He'd rather be at home. Oh, you know, I, I kind of don't think he's out there. I think it's like a G.I. Joe hologram right. situation. So you think it's going on concurrently? I, I think he just was there for that meeting in a hologram form, okay. and then he's back on Earth, really. Oh, you might be right, because they do flash oh, like three or four people out. Oh, yeah, we see the general guy go away. Yeah. Yeah. That and makes the, sense. And the general was the one presenting all this to him. Right. Like, they were going out for the allies and, and information and tech to get rid of this alien presence. So, uh, they don't, there's not a whole lot of space travel right now. No. But we do see that they can scan the sector a lot better than they used to be able to when they find a planetoid. And this is their goal to go to this planetoid. I, I think, wasn't that like a, a side thing? Like, I thought their mission was to go somewhere near Mars and. Like they kind of find the planetoid and they're like, well, right let's, after the whole let's scan, take a look at it, yeah. Right. Uh, so they decide they're going to go there. Um, they land on this planetoid, and they kind of discover. Well, prior to that, I think there's some uh, backstabbery going on. Yeah, we have the whole talk between the other scientist lady and the Russian. Right. And he's an off-screen like hologram also, and whatever his purposes are. He doesn't want them to get stuck with a, doing just exploring things. So it's like there's three different groups tugging at the ship at this point. We've got the military, possibly the Russian military, and then folks are just trying to do science stuff. Mm -hmm. And, like, all three groups are sort of working together. Well, all three groups have their own agendas, but it's like none of them are really in control. So it, it closest to being in control would maybe be the scientist part of it. Mm-hmm. And the find the weapons part of it. Right. So they get docked to this planet or land on this planet. 
and they get a little more than they bargain for. And that's kind of where we leave off. Yeah. It's it, it's it's interesting the concept with the planet they 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 wind up naming it in the book and I don't remember what the name is it doesn't really matter, but uh, they talk about it's it's traveling through space on a giant orbit, a so Mobius it, orbit. Yeah, so it passes through our section randomly, I guess, or or not super often, but when it does pass through, it passes through very close to Saturn. So like whatever's there is in like our section not very long. Right. And then passes out into the rest of the orbit as it goes around. Which that's an interesting idea too, that a random planet that we haven't seen before because we didn't take the right picture at the right time. Well, and they mention that it's on the Mobius orbit and they call right. it uh, Ouroboros, which means never ending. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, if you're familiar with the Mobius loop, it just, it's it's weird. Yeah, the infinity. Right. It just goes forever. But, yeah, I like it. I think it's a good it's book. It's a strange strange uh, pattern for a planet to go. Right. Though, you know, so. It's a very smart book, that's for sure. So anyway, it, it, to me it's got the feel of, it, it has the feel of Apocalypse with all the different characters and the backstabbing and right. uh, subterfuge, I guess you could say, ninja work. Uh, no, I, I, I really enjoy it. The art's spectacular. The cover's really good on it, too. Um, it's, it's my, it's my kind of book. It's something that I would pick up monthly. Right. I'd probably get, that one I'd probably give it a four. Okay. If we had more information about the aliens, which I'm guessing we're going to get number two. Right. Because of the end, I think it would be, it'd probably be a pretty solid five, actually. So it's a really good book. Shadowline is like the more adult stuff, I right. guess. Um, but there's adult stuff in Image, so I don't know what the imprint is. I know it's a Jim Valentino imprint, but no, I enjoy it. Yeah, I'll give it a four. Cool. And I mean, that may be all it is. is it may be just Jim Valentino's company still, mm-hmm. you know. Because he did Darkhawk, I think that was yep. the name, right? Yeah, no, no, Shadowhawk. Shadowhawk, Shadowhawk. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's right. Darkhawk Marvel. Yeah. But yeah, um, he also had a hand in uh, Wetworks, I think. Valentino? Uh, you know, I don't remember that. I think that was Will Say Portasi. Oh, that's right. It was. It was. Valentino did a couple other things, but I can't remember what else. He did a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. He created Bomb Queen, too. Oh, okay. So, if that's any consolation. I don't know if that helps or not. He did did do uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. Like in the mid-90s. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, he's he's one of the guys that first started. Oh, yeah. He's one of the Image 7, Mm -hmm. but he's the least talked about one of the Image 7, probably. I like a lot of his work, too, but back to that book, yeah, Mm -hmm. four. Okay. Um, yeah, I give it a three. Like it, it was good. Ooh, it, it does his. get it does get wordy though, and I think that's the only reason that. Dude, not bad way. No, you're looking at the guy who hates reading a lot of words I know, in comics. I know, and it wasn't that bad. I, I think reading it out loud, it was really bad. <laughs> we don't talk about that. But just reading it by yourself, it's not bad at all. It looks no, like there's a lot right. of back and forth. There not. is. There's, yeah. there's a lot of it's dialogue. It's easily followed. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't fall. It doesn't fall out of place or anything. But, but there's a lot of there's a lot of dialogue to it. There are a lot of people that look similar in that, and the, you kind of run into a that couple of scientists do. When yeah. he comes up with the doc, and then the doc leaves, and that other guy comes in. Yeah, they look very similar. They look very similar. Yeah. So it was throwing me off for when we were reading it out loud. Uh, it, it was it was weird in the book too. Just reading it, and then this this old guy just kind of pops into the screen, and says, "You're clear for launch and discovery. You're clear." And that was just kind of jarring at that point because you don't lead into it. 
You know I, what I mean? I think if it was uh, set up in the TV format, there would have been like a flicker or something, and then he popped up on the oh, yeah. screen. It's just kind of jarring going from this scene to that scene. Right. And I usually don't feel that way going to scenes, but it was just weird that you're in the station and then you're in the ship. Right. So. Well, book-wise, I, I would give it a three still. I mean, it's pretty entertaining. Like you said, I think the next issue will get a lot more action stuff. This is more of, like, setup. And whether that's written be, to be like, a trade, like me and Rob talked about earlier, if it's designed that way or not, it, it's it's still a good book. They're all designed that way now. And not all of them, but they're getting to be that way. Um, it, remind, yeah, it reminded me of a show that I've been watching. Not that, that makes any difference whatsoever, so I'm done. Three. <laughs> Rob? Uh, I, I'd give it three and a half. I actually thought it was a really solid read. Um, it does have that little hook at the end. I think if the hook at the end was stronger... I don't know. The hook I, at the end was pretty was freaking strong. good, yeah. It is, but it, uh, it, it, it... It was abrupt, I think. Yeah, maybe maybe it needed a little bit more... And I, I think the... Lean to. The, the, the story and then having Dr. Saul Fredericks right there... I think it just kind of broke up the feel of it. Yeah, maybe. And then the big surprise, and it's like, God dang. Yeah, which, I mean, that's that's half of what we, when we were talking about that. Like, it, it didn't feel like, like, just episodic. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's meant to be mm-hmm. all four at once. But I, I liked it. I mean, it's it's a smart read. Um, I think it's going to turn into something really good. It'll, it'll be neat to see what they go do from here. Because I, I have to imagine that we're going to get to know... Most of the cast of characters pretty well because once they actually get out of our solar system, that's it. There's nobody else going to be introduced. I imagine. I don't remember having the captain's name ever said because I remember Captain Anderson, who was the other one when Grissom was leaving, the dark-haired one that came in after the Doctor. Huh. That was Captain Anderson, but I don't remember ever getting his name. Hmm. I, I don't. I'm trying to place it, and I don't. I I remember Grissom a lot. That's the female captain that that was the The captain that he replaced. And then she says Captain Anderson, who was the other captain beside our our primary captain. The other guy leaving on the other mission. The other black-haired guy. Yeah, because we've got two different missions going on. We have our primary mission, which is with the new captain replacing the old female captain. And there was another guy who's on some other secret mission that's separate to this one. Mm Mm-hmm. He's the friend of the captain, that Anderson guy. Right. Yeah, I don't know if they say it or not. I, they must say it in there somewhere. Yeah, they might. I don't know. I don't know. It just that. didn't stick in my head like Yeah, the me either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, I'm Mr. Mike. Uh, art's, uh, art's pretty cool. It looks like <clears throat> kind of looking at it makes me uh, think of Alien. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not as dark. No, that's what I was going to say, but I didn't want to be a dick. <laughs> the <laughs> color, so serious. The color tone say, is like... It has the feel of Alien. It does. But it's not at that dark. Mm. And we don't have the camaraderie. Kind of like Event Horizon. Right. You know what I mean? And I like Event Horizon, for you assholes out there who don't. <laughs> <laughs> You've never seen it. I know, I tried to I find say, it for you. I say Stargate uh, Universe. Three okay. Uh, one thing I did like is that... Our captain likes to name everything. So, like, you'd ask them if they had named the ship already, and they have a lot of, like, neat little pop culture references. Oh, yeah, he's going to call there. it the Enterprise. Yeah. And that was the doctor. Mm-hmm. 
No, that was, that the, was other the, the other guy. The other captain. Captain Anderson. Yeah. 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 Captain he asked him if he named his, his ship yet, and he's like, well, no one back home is going to know about my secret, secret mission. So, uh, yeah, I'm calling Enterprise. And he's like, really? <laughs> yep, no one's going to know about it anyway. <laughs> So yeah, that was pretty. It was pretty. They're they're the the ride up with the doctor and our current captain. Like the whole entire time they're doing that, they're like, "What are we gonna say to these aliens?" And, like that whole conversation is kind of hilarious. Yeah, hairless like, house apes or right. Yeah, he's like yeah. coming with all these different greetings. Like, "Hello, we're Earthlings from Earth." He's like, "Really? That's what you got? You don't want to say we come in peace?" Yeah. So like, it's it's pretty funny, but that that whole talk between him and the doctor is about what they're gonna say first to the aliens if the, if they meet them. Yeah. Kind of, it's pretty funny. It's pretty that was good. good. And they really don't, they don't focus on the faster than light travel either. No, there's, because there's talk of it, but there's not like, other than the initial like game show stuff, or not game show, the talk show stuff, it's not like. Cause you're in, you're in the, the dock, and then they show the ship flying, and then they show the ship at the planetoid. So there's really, I mean, we, that's why I'm saying that faster than light is just the sub story. Right. Of this whole grand. Well, I have a feeling we're not going to spend a lot of time just sitting in the ship with nothing to do. Right. So if you don't think it's going to be that good of a book, just because Faster Than Light, you're wrong. Now agreed. Unless you don't like science fiction, then... Why are you reading it anyway? Why are you looking at it? Yeah. Take that, people. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get past other space and go in the Justice League. What? Well, we'll go back to space in a second. Which one is that? Oh. Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars. It's tough. The Star Wars uh, between Return and, and Force Awakens. God dang it. But um, now we're going to go to Justice League uh, 43. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> sure. No, that's what it is. It is and, and it's the Dark Side War Part 3. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? That's that's what the book is called. <laughs> um. Yeah, Dark Side War stuff, by the way, has been pretty out of control. And there's been a lot of little neat elements in there. It is also a big part of DC's whole, you know, timeline being a skewed thing now. So, um, but we actually, we open the book up to Calabac, evidently in the, uh, in the Hound training yard. Which I don't think this is something that we've actually seen in New DC at all. But, uh, yeah, evidently Calabag's just out torturing dogs, which kind of just continues to show that he's a psycho. And if you need any extra proof of that, he uh, winds up licking up the remains of his dog off of his uh, mace. It is pretty gross. Yeah, Calabag's pretty crazy. And he's gigantic. But um, for those people who didn't read uh, Earth 2, we get a chance to see Steppenwolf. And we kind of see the power play between him and um, and Calabac. Like everybody on Apocalypse is, you know, I couldn't say like they're afraid of Darkseid because Darkseid is basically God, and they treat him as such. And so you know everybody kind of worships Darkseid. And you know there's a kind of telling moment here at the end where you know. As like an ending for whatever he was telling Calabac, he says for Dark Side, and he's like, "Bah, for Calabac." So when he comes over, I don't know. This could be a chance for like Calabac to make a power play against his father. Well, yeah, and that's something I should. Calabac is supposed to be Dark Side's son. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, in the previous story, they'd removed Metreon from his uh, his Crazy chair, floating throne. Yeah, Mobius chair. The Mobius, Mobius chair. chair. That's the name. Wait, yeah. wait a minute. The Mobius. Oh, man. Well, when you said Steppenwolf, I flashed back to. Star Trek Generations, when he was playing that, when he first got the faster oh. mode, the warp travel. <laughs> man, okay. So it's all coming together, man. <laughs> um, but basically, when, when Batman sat down on it, he, in a sense, ascended to godhood. He's evidently privy to all knowledge that the Mobius chair has ever obtained, including a lot of secrets that Batman didn't know. I'm glad it's just not a warm chair and we get nothing from no. him. No. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Like, takes control of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. He's acting a little a little funky. Green Lantern thinks he's acting way funkier than he should. But the other thing that's odd is uh, I always understood that Metron didn't walk. That You've his never legs seen were him. Yeah. You've never seen him walk. You know, I mean, in older books, it seemed like he just fell down. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe that's because he's always sitting on the chair, he just can't walk. His legs fell asleep. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he seems to be okay, which is interesting. But um, they're using the Mobius chair basically to try to find a way to kill, or actually not to kill, I'm sorry, to make the Anti-Monitor leave Earth. Because of the Anti-Monitor and Apocalypse, or I'm sorry, not Apocalypse, Dark Side. Battle it out on Earth. That's that's it. That's the end. Metron took the Justice League to um, Shazam's Rock of, Rock of Eternity, so that they could so they could discuss what to do, because the Rock of Eternity, evidently, like uh, Apocalypse, is a place outside of most of the multiverse, so it can't be seen into. Uh, Metron basically said, you know, an abandoned Earth. I've seen you guys save Earth. This is not going to happen this time. If you want to live, you leave Earth now. And uh, Batman and the gang forced him out of the chair. Batman took over. And, um, yeah. So from there, they're, they're finding out little bits of how to deal with uh, the Anti-Monitor. But, you know, it's, it's kind of a question of what questions do you ask. Yeah, and the entire time Batman's finding out other random things as he goes. So, like, it's, as far as, like, the chair's concerned, it's hard to say if we're actually getting anything that's necessary, and it's, it seems to be corrupting Batman slightly, but it's it's weird what's doing to him. Well, he's already said that he's a god. So. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we see in this is that um, Lex Luthor's sister actually wound up shooting him last issue. And very nearly killed him. Superman uses uh, his heat vision to cauterize the wound. Yep. Uh, in a way, saving Luther's life. And of course, Luther, you know, can't accept any help from Superman. But Superman's very quickly losing energy on Apocalypse, and it becomes pretty evident that that's going on as um, Kalibak and Steppenwolf make the decision to send the slave camps to basically kill themselves fighting Superman. He's promised some freedom to try to break Superman's spirit because he wants to find hope in every situation and there's no hope for these slaves. But luckily he's got a real ruthless guy with him with Lex Luthor who just mows them down with his purple energy blast. <laughs> I think there's nothing wrong with it. Um, as we get back from there, we 
we have another character that they introduced last issue, which is a, an Amazon assassin. She mm, had gotten uh, Scott Free or Mr. Miracle to work with her a little bit, thinking that his whole ideal in life was to kill Apocalypse, or Darkseid. And when he finds out that she's basically willing to sacrifice a good portion of the Earth to kill Apocalypse, or to kill um, Darkseid... Isn't that Darkseid's daughter, too, or something? No, she's she's just an Amazon. But she evidently slept with Darkseid so that she could breed a weapon? <laughs> um, her daughter, Grail... Ah, okay. Sorry, go ahead. She, she's the actual daughter of... Apocalypse. We've got two different characters, yeah. There's the... Grail is the daughter. Yeah. Uh, which, in theory, Grail is supposed to be working with the mother in some way, but uh, who knows, because Grail seems to be every bit as crazy as Calback or Apocalypse. So. She's been in league with the, the Animonder is trying to serve Darkseid up to the Animonder. But, um, yeah, Scott Free realizes that that's not the way that he wants to go, and so he's looked for the Justice League to help him, knowing that they have to now stop both Grail and Darkseid from coming to the uh, coming to Earth. And the Anti-Monitor. Well, yeah, if we can get the Anti-Monitor to leave, that's the big thing. Right. But um, Scott Free eventually makes his way to the... Uh, I can't remember this one. I need to. Shazam's Rock of place. The Rock of Eternity. God, I don't know why it's so hard for me to recall. Um, and he basically tells him, you know, like, Metron doesn't do anything without some kind of alternative motive. So he kind of puts the idea in your head that maybe Metron wanted to be thrown out of the chair. He wanted Batman to take over, or he wanted somebody to, so that he could manipulate them in some way. It's um, all about him treachery. He's trying to kind of explain to them that he thinks he has a, an alternative to get the Animonitor off the planet, but to do so, he's going to have to go into the multiverse. And he winds up uh, taking Deanna's rope to kind of prove what he's saying is legit. And I think it's there's at least one person who kind of mentions, like, hey, you already used it on Metron. And it didn't seem to do anything, so who knows whether it can affect new gods or not. But ultimately, they decide to break into two groups, scot-free going with most of the Justice League to try to stop Darkseid and the Animonitor from actually having the fight out on Earth, and Batman and Green Lantern to go to um, the multiverse to try to find this way to remove the Animonitor from the Earth. Uh, kind of leaving a chained-up Metron, who uh, has an odd saying where he's like, soon, soon I'll be free, as he's like chained up inside of the Rock of Eternity, so. But um, everything kind of comes to a head at the very end of the book as both sides are kind of drawn. And we're going to have this epic snack down on Earth, which you think that would be big enough. But uh, we go back over to Apocalypse with Lex Luthor and the failing powers of Superman. And Lex gets this idea in his head that the hell pits on the planet, the fire pits, I guess it's called, yeah. would 
put out the same kind of solar radiation that Superman would normally absorb. And so to kind of try to recharge him, he throws Superman into one of these pits. And it winds up having some kind of you know, uh, unexpected results. As I say. It's all science is all experiments. <laughs> Throw him into a volcano. It's all right. Yeah, there's radiation in there somewhere. <laughs> all right, Rob, score for the book. Um, I liked it actually. They've done a really, really good job of this so far. Uh, I'm probably gonna throw out a four. Hopefully, you know what they have lined up for the conclusion is gonna keep up the pitch that they have here. So, and it's kind of neat to see their take on on the anti monitor in the new Fifty Two. So, all right, uh, Mr. Mike. I really like. Uh... They're, uh, how they they are portraying Mr. Miracle. It's a cool character. Scott Free? Yep. Yeah. Um, the whole Dark Side War has been really cool. The art, I think they've they got they, they've got a really great artist working on that. Uh, uh, Jason Fabok. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I really like his art. Um, I'll give it a four. It's really good. I like that they recognize that you know how Jordan's only experience with the new gods has been really bad too and so that he's not down with working with them right off the bat and I kind of like that he's kind of the reluctant party in this Mr. Curtis <clears throat> four <laughs> all right I, I like stuff yeah about that book awesome Scott Free yeah. Yeah. Understandable. He needs to have his own series. That'd be cool. You know, it would be interesting. Yeah. You like the art? Yeah. Yeah. Faybach? He's the Dave Finch of the New Millennium. Take that, New Millennium. I think he's better. I agree. Way better. <laughs> oh, man. Mm. But Dave Finch's early work was really good. Mm-hmm. He's still good. His Wonder Woman's been good. I don't care. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I, I kind of prefer the Justice League. Too, yeah, eat it. Yeah, all right. That's just me. Okay, uh, score-wise, you know, I get a four also. Like, so far, the Dark Side War has been pretty epic. Like, from 40 forward, it's been 44? really... 44? We're only at 43. No, no, from 40. 44? No. 40 forward? Four, no. Issue 40 is where they started it. <laughs> From issue, from issue 40. 40. Don't make me hijack this podcast. Forward. Oh, I get you with the words of the four. Yeah. You, man. Cheeky. So monkey. far it's been good. How about that? From number from issue number 40. Yes. To now. To now. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Hopefully it's not that big because I don't want to see anybody die unless it's powering. You know, she's not that bad in there. She's all right. No, she's not. <laughs> I just, I don't think, I don't know if they had a plan with her. No, I don't think so. Because she feels really shoehorned into everything. Yeah. They'll Maybe probably, they'll, they'll probably kill her off. Maybe. Take that, Jeff Johns, your self-fulfilling prophecy nonsense. Self-fulfilling prophylactic. I think that's something different. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, so let's move on. God, man. Let's move on to Star Wars Shattered Empire. 
Journey of the Force Awakens. Star Wars. Yeah. Nothing but Star Wars. That's what I'm talking about. Talking about Star Wars. Shut your mouth. <laughs> I'm just talking about Star Wars. It's <laughs> uh, cool. Curtis, you want to lead us through this book? No. No? Mike? Rob, have me copy of that. I don't remember any of the names. I don't either. I remember Honey Green, Chewy? Green 2. Oh, man, okay. I think she's actually Green 6. Greg Rucka's writing it. Who does the art? Mark Cicchetto. Oh, that's right. Mark, Mark Cicchetto. Is it Rucka writing it? Yeah. Fantastic. Shut your mouth. Yeah, he's talking about Cicchetto. What the ruck? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's enough of that. Okay. Yes, Greg Rucka, who has also put out a Star Wars novel recently. Has he? Yeah. It wasn't it's Aftermath, was regular, it? Regular, I don't remember the name. Huh. It's a newer one. Huh. Like, it's in the last week new. And it wasn't a new dawn. No, I don't think so. Man. I don't think, I don't know that for sure, though. Anyway, um, so, book opens up with a screen, screen crawl to explain where the book takes place at. Uh, this guy is taking place just at the end of the battle in the Death Star, uh, from Return of the Jedi. Uh, it's a four-part miniseries, so in theory it's supposed to lead us forward. Uh, I don't know how fast it'll go, just because that's being the size of the miniseries. Well, it's got to go 30 years. Right. Well, we'll, I, we'll see. Unless you're going to make you read the books. Well, we'll see. Bunch of bastards. But the way it opens up, we're, we're in the middle of the saber battle between Luke and Vader. Emperor looking on. Chewie and everyone's on the planet, getting ready to try to take the bunker. And we've got a bunch of pilots out in space fighting the battle. And a majority of the first, probably, I don't know, ten pages are dealing with all that. And uh, we meet a batch of new characters, uh, a couple of the foot soldiers from the uh, from the indoor, and uh, a couple of the pilots. And we meet uh, a red, or no, sorry, green six is the main pilot female lady that we meet. Uh, her name is Shara. Is that her name? I think so. Okay. And then uh, she winds up being the one we deal with most of the time through the through the uh, battle. There's some other names are thrown out and other other characters that of course die, but we don't. She's the main one we focus on. Anyway, to wrap all that up, just before the Death Star explodes, she winds up running into a shuttle, and uh, is told to stand down because the shuttle's under friendly control. And we wind up finding out it's the sh- it's the shield, the Emperor's Emperor's ship that uh, Luke is piloting out with Vader's body. Now, ultimately, we know Vader's body's in there because of the movie, but she's informed by the pilot, who is Luke, that uh, the, the ship is under friendly control. So she basically gives him, like, a, a guide to get to the planet. She takes out a bunch of uh, other TIE fighters that could kind of go out, come after the two of them. Which, that part was pretty cool, because it just lines things up, gives us a time frame. Oh, and she's an A-wing pilot, too, which is awesome. Oh, that's right, yeah. But uh, it, after the battle's over, um, Death Star blows up. Million Bucket comes flying out of it. Well, we get to uh, it's, it's, it's a hangar bay on one of the bigger ships, and I don't know if they actually tell us what ship it is. I don't think they do, but uh, we've got a bunch of pilots basically hanging around talking to each other about how how I can't believe the battle's over, and it's it's like the opposite side of the party on Endor because it's all the people that are still up in space, uh, which eventually we wind up finding out they're shuttling people to the ground for uh, after party basically. And they're gearing up to deal with what they assume is going to be a assault from the remaining Empire. Well, so they're preparing for that. Um, so uh, our our female pilot, uh, Shara, she wants to go down to the the ground force because there's something she's looking for. Um, and her uh, command, her now commander, Green Two, I think, 
uh, tells her, yeah, go ahead and go to the planet, it'll be fine. So she comes down there, we get some run into our main cast characters, we run into Han and Lando, and the two of them talking about the ship, and Lando hitting on ladies, because that's what he does, because it's awesome. Uh, she eventually finds out where the, uh, well, where the character, the guy, the, the character she's supposed to be looking for is supposed to be out, uh, supposed to be at. So she walks over to that hut, and the whole time we have, like, Ewok partying going on, which is pretty awesome. And, uh, she gets there, and we wind up finding out that she's connected to one of the foot soldiers that were in the group that Han was leading, and they're very much like the, like the army, first one's in, last one's out. Marines, like the Like the Marines, there you go. And, uh... It turns out her husband's one of them. And uh, so both of them are real happy to see the other one's not dead. And they have their whole romantic interlude, interlude which uh, leads to the next morning. And uh, this would be all after the movie now. So uh, he, the husband, whose name, who, what's the husband's name? Does anybody remember his name? <clears throat> Commander Bay? Maybe. Lieutenant. Lieutenant, that's right. So he is in the process of collecting all of his gear because he's been summoned for some type of mission. And she doesn't know what it is, but they both get ready and basically go out to meet uh, Han Solo, who's giving orders. And we found out that there's a group of Imperials entrenched on the opposite side of the shield bunker, or the opposite side of the moon. Uh, not moon. On the opposite side of Indoor, God. And uh, they're basically gearing up for an assault against the rebels. And... Han and the general have decided that it's not a good idea to leave them just there for the Ewoks to deal with. So they decide they're going to basically go over and try to wipe out this last insurgency. And uh, he's looking for pilots to volunteer to, as the the flying crew and the gunners. And of course she volunteers and winds up on the ship with Han and her husband and a couple co-pilot Ewoks. Funniest part in the books, Ewoks are pushing buttons. She's like, don't touch that. They keep pushing buttons. She's like, don't touch that. Hilarious. It's so funny. With Ewoks talking. It's great. Don't look at me like that. Yep, yep. Yes. Exactly. It's just hilarious. I still don't know what you're saying. Right? Well, earlier <laughs> on, dur- during the party night, there's a point where when she first finds her husband, one of the other pilots, is the bears are talking to him. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I still don't understand. <laughs> it's freaking hilarious. Anyway, um, we get a shot of this uh, encampment, and we see they've got biker scouts, walkers, troop, regular troopers, and we get another good... Uh, planetary battle with ships and whatnot. And just before her husband winds up jumping off the ship to go fight, he's like, you know, we should look for a place to settle down. And she's like, what? And he's like, here we go! And he <laughs> basically goes out to fight. And uh, we wind up fairly fairly quickly subduing this group. And uh, they, they all go, a few of them go inside, and they are in there for a while, and then they come out, and we found out there's been a whole lot of more communications sent from to and from the Empire, and the battle's not over yet. And that's where we leave the first issue. Kind of freaking awesome. Um, Score-wise, I don't know, just for the Ewok talk, I give it a four, easily. It's pretty entertaining. I like the new characters, the, the ones that we, we met in this book. Shara, I think she's awesome. Like, character-wise, it's cool that she's a, that she's a pilot, and she's like not an X-Wing pilot, which is really cool, too. So, book-wise, I, I give it a four. Uh, I like it. Uh, Rob? You know, I'd also give it a four. Actually, I really like the characters. Um, I like kind of the military aspect of it, because we don't get that a whole lot in the Star Wars films. We know that they have a military kind of 
motif going on, but we don't really see it a whole lot. Although it did come across to me for the first time as like, oh gosh, Han and Luke and them are kind of assholes. You know, they get this general position, but they really didn't do anything to get it. They just mm-hmm. kind of, they just kind of appointed that way ceremonially. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. Good to be generals, <laughs> even though you really don't care about things. But it was kind of cool to have the story focus around kind of grunt characters, and um, I don't know. I think it'll be I think it'll be fun to see where they go with it. I also like that this uh, kind of did away with the rubbish of uh, oh, well, just the Death Star had blown up, so now there's peace across the galaxy. I mean, it was something they dealt with a lot in the books that the Empire just didn't give up. They continued to fight, and the remnant stayed along for a long time. So. It'll be neat to see how this is going to play out. Well, um, Mr. Mike? It's pretty cool. <clears throat> the new characters, they flesh them out, give them a lot of depth. Um, a lot going on in this book, but it's not hard to follow at all. The art's pretty cool. I give it a four. I liked it. Well, Mr. Curtis? <clears throat> you know... Just because it's Star Wars, people are already going to know. I'm, I'm just saying that because Faster Than Light was straight-up words, whereas this one was total action. So you jump into it running anyway. Uh, yeah, a lot going on. Yeah. I don't know, man. Star Wars is, is off the charts right now. I'll probably give it a... As much as I don't want it, I'll give it a four. Simply because of the... Ewoks and Han and Chewie. It was just so. And Lando making his appearance. That's pretty good. Doing what Lando do. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I'll give it a four. Right. And on that note, I found that book. Oh, what was it? It's a young adult novel. Like, nine to ten is the age range. Okay. Uh, it's called Journey to Star Wars, The Force Awakens Smuggler's Run, A Han Solo Adventure. Star Wars, Journey to Star Wars, The Force Awakens. That's the whole title. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah these and titles are ridiculous. Written by Greg Rucka, and it says illustrator is Phil Noto, but I think that's just the cover. Oh, yeah, the note, it's got a gray cover on it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a Noto piece. And it's a hardback. Yeah. Well, it's a regular, it's a, it's a regular like, book book. That's 192 pages, and it's, it's oh, grade level, 5 to 9, age range 10 to 14. So it's, it's getting the kids back into it, I guess. You know, I've never looked to see what the average age grade, though, for a Star Wars novel is. So uh, let, me, uh, let me just look oh. at Aftermath real quick. Well, I think you preview that and figure that out. It, well, doesn't, it doesn't have one. It's 400 pages for Aftermath. But it's got a crappy rating. It's got like two and a half stars out of five. That's too bad. Hmm. And it was released the same day as Greg Rucka's novel. What's Aftermath? It's uh, Aftermath, Star Wars, Journey to Star Wars, The Force Awakens. (laughs) (laughs) That's the title. (laughs) Evidently, it's like uh, Wedge on a mission for the Empire. Or not the Empire, but the 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 New Republic, I guess. Whatever they're going to call it in the new Abrams films, I guess. Because now we don't know. I just I just hope that they'll put Cornhorn into the films. Cornholio? Yes. That's awesome. He's my favorite new my favorite new Jedi. Come out with your pants down. 
That's somebody different. Oh. Yeah, it is. Corn, cornhorn. <laughs> you, you actually, it's cornhorn. Not cornholio. <laughs> no, I want to see Beavis and Butthead in Star Wars. They could be. God dang it. I'm surprised they haven't done it already. Not to be confused with the cornhole. Jeez, yes. OP. Hey, you bring it up, man. No, on Star Wars, there was another book on the 4th that came out for Star Wars. Oh, yeah. The Force Awakens Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. Oh, man, they actually got a, a short title on that one. Illustrator's Phil Noto. Good job, Phil. Jeez, old Pete, man. See, that one's a grade level 7 to 12, 12 to 18 years old. 560 pages. Damn. Good Lord. Maybe it's a page count that determines what age group it's for. I don't know, man. Anyway. That's a lot of... that. I mean, for any... Yeah. A kid or a kid, whatever. 500 pages? Yeah. Good, good luck. Well, That's a big book. Come now, on. Well, you got to look at Harry Potter and... Were those that big? Too? Oh, my God. Yeah. 800 pages. Yeah. Every every book got yeah. big. Oh, shit. Yeah. Over 1,000 wow. for the last one, I think. The Order of the Phoenix. Something crazy uh, like that. For the, for the final book? So yeah. The Deadly Hallows. Whatever that was. I've never yes. read them. Uh-huh. They're fantastic. I don't like Harry Potter. I I haven't even seen the movies. I, if you watch the movie, I think you'll be... I tried. Leader, so. I saw that stupid little house gnome. I'm like, this is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dobby is stupid, but... And I couldn't get past it. I I have to admit, I, I hated it for a long time. I would not bother to read the books. And then I seen the film, and I went, God dang it. No, and I actually went and saw it. I read all the books. Not gonna read good. Them. Not gonna read them. They're actually very no. well done. Okay, well on that note, uh, let's do some books to watch. Uh, Mr. Mike? Oh, that's a good question. Well, the usual, I suppose. Black Science. Star Wars book's been pretty good. Yeah. That, that Darth Vader book is actually pretty good. Kieran um, Gillen, yeah. It's good. Deadly Class, obviously. Right. Um, Justice League, you know, the usuals. All right. Uh, Rob? Um, well, we had a couple of new ones that they announced for Marvel. Um, Black Knight and Hercules, I think, are both going to be fantastic books. Um, and actually, Earth 2, I think, for DC is going to be really good as it comes as it continues. So... All those guys should be really good. Right on. Mr. Curtis? I can't remember the name of that book. Streaking Moon? Oh, Moonstreak. Moonstreak? I think from uh, Shining Night Press or yes. whatever it is. That looks pretty cool. It does. The art's awesome, isn't it? Check that out. Um, Sabrina. Whenever it gets printed, read that. <laughs> right. Uh... Deadly Class, um, Black Science, <laughs> what else do we got? Copperhead. Oh yeah, Copperhead, we haven't had one of those in a minute. Um, Vampirilla Aliens. Oh right, Vampirilla vs. Aliens. That's stupid. <laughs> um, so stupid good? I, 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 yeah. So far? I still got one issue out, but it's, yeah, it's kind of... I guess yeah. that's it. <laughs> All right. Can't think of anything else. Gear and Bones. Oh yeah. Also Shining Night or uh, Night. Right. I think it's Shining Night. I think so. Star Trek Green Lantern. Oh yeah. Uh, Star Wars: A Journey to Star Wars. Read Star Wars: Wars of the Star. 
the root awakening, the dawn of justice, whatever they're going to call it. So that's a it's a long name. A new dawn of justice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> bollocks. I think bollocks is not a. That would be pretty funny if it was the name of a book, though. Yeah. You could name a book that. It'd be a comedy book. Be good, good stuff. Good. <laughs> All right. Uh, some other stuff new come out from uh, Image. Um, I, I think I mentioned it last time. I'm pretty sure I do it actually. Paper Girls. Um, supposedly a story about a group of kids in 1989 around Halloween. That. It's Brian K. Vaughn. Okay. Yeah, it looks, the couple preview pages they put out look really cool. Stupid. And the setup for it, I don't know, it's like a, it's like an 80s, 80s movie with kids. So I like Goonies and stuff. <laughs> Go- E.T., Goonies, all good <laughs> movies. Okay, so the way that came out of my mouth wasn't exactly well. I was, I was looking at that movie, Kids. That's no. Yeah. Uh, no. Don't watch that. <laughs> don't. No, no. <laughs> That's, yeah, bad choice. The Labyrinth. Yeah, Labyrinth is, yeah, good also, yeah. Man, messed up. Um, Huck, uh, from Image also. Oh my god, Claws. Oh, Claws? Oh yeah, Claws. Um, coming out from, uh. I think it's Image. No, I want to say it's Boom or, I think it's Boom. IDW? Uh, no, I think it's Boom. It's supposed to be about the origin of Santa Claus, written by uh, Grant, Grant Morris. Morris. It's supposed to be like Santa, Santa Claus Year Zero, is what what the write up says in there. Yeah, he's full of himself. Well, that's true. The art looks awesome. The couple the couple pages look great, and the concept's cool. Like an old Viking looking dude. With yeah. Dead deer over his shoulder. Awesome. Heck yeah, man. It's a clause, yes. It should, it's a miniseries. It's if you good. don't want to pick that up, watch Santa Slays. Also interesting, but kind not of quite a, the same. Yeah. <laughs> Similar, though. They both have beards. Well, he makes a pact with Satan, so... That's true. I mean, that's yeah. got to be good. Not Santa, but the other elf. Yeah, right. Yeah, the other one. <clears throat> that was in Santa Slays. Yeah. <laughs> not. We don't know anything about Claws. Claws, not yet. Spell no. with a K. Yes. L-A-U-S-E. Not like... Good job. C-L-A-W-S. No. We think with a K. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I want to do a shout out for uh, our buddy Dave Crossland. He's in the process of doing uh, his own his own book called uh, Ego Rehab, um, based on him. The couple pages he got up in the preview look really awesome. I'll put a link underneath the write up for this episode. Where you can go pre-order it from him. Um, Dave's awesome guy, so I think it'll be cool. Is he uh, working with a distributor yet? Not at this point. He's doing it himself, so, so it's all self-published. So it'd be really worth going and getting it right now because it's not like it's going to come to your store. You're going to have to actually do the work to get it. To yes. get it. Very true. Um, you also, I'm sure there's a link on his website. The website is uh, hiredmeat.com. Hired Meat. Dot com. Artist is Dave Crossland. Um, he's done work for uh, IDW, um, Boom, uh, random cover stuff. I want to say he did a little bit of cover stuff for Marvel, a lot of independent stuff. CD covers, uh, back when that was a thing. Uh, if you've ever listened to Gym Class Heroes, the album that made them popular, he did the art for the interior cover and, well, the cover and the interior art for it. So you may, be, you may own part of his art and not even know it. Anyway, um, yeah, I'll put a link for that, so get on it, people, because that should be awesome. I want to 
He's like another artist, but way better. And I know he's friends with that artist, so I don't want to say his name. <laughs> right, that's true. But he's a, he's very dynamic when he draws. Oh yeah. So no doubt he's yeah. He's a good, he's a good guy. Right here. I think he's awesome. Anyway, um, anything else? Nope. No. Curtis is wishing he had the mustache oil twisted mustache up. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you just tied a girl up on the train tracks. Whoa! Yeah, I'm just saying Whoa. that's that's what the thing was about with the God. old Western movies. I never do anything. Yeah. What if I'm like Salvador Dali? Huh? He wasn't crazy. Wait, <laughs> wait, 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 a wait! No, 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 no! Wait a minute! Oh man! Like Mordecai, that movie, not the Mordecai we like, but the other Mordecai. I don't know who you're talking about. Johnny Depp. Is a movie called Mordecai? Never seen it. No? Yeah. I haven't you seen it either. I have but... not missed anything. <laughs> That's what Rob says. I haven't seen it either, but I'm aware of it. It's, it's a pretty bad film. The only Mordecai I know is Three Fingers Mordecai Brown. <laughs> what about Mordecai from a regular show? I'm talking human. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Different Mordecai. What was the kid that walked behind the rose? Oh. God, I don't was remember. Was that Mordecai? Uh, the cornrows and yeah. like Children of the Corn? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't yes. that Mordecai? Probably. I think so. Yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, That's a I weird... Guess, wow. I guess I know more people named Mordecai than I thought. Mm. <laughs> walked by uh, none of them are really good. <laughs> Except for Three Fingers Mordecai Brown. <laughs> okay. That dude was a pitcher, man, and he only had three fingers. Probably damned. I mean, this was like in the 20s, but... Wow. 30s. That's still pretty impressive. Tell me. Yeah. There's no Jeff Abbott. <laughs> I'm like, who the hell's that? Dude didn't have a hand and he still pitched. Figure that one out. <laughs> was, was he left handed? He, yeah, he was. Okay, okay. He put his glove on his stump. He'd throw the ball and put the glove on his hand and field. It's pretty good. Wow. They wouldn't stand for that today. No. This is too bad. Well, that was. That made 90s, 80s, 90s. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So they might stand for it today. You never know. Jim Abbott, Jeff Abbott, I can't remember his name. Huh. I know Daryl Abbott. That was a dime bag, Daryl. He's dead now. <laughs> Different thing entirely. But his name is Abbott. That's okay. Girl. All right. And he doesn't work in a church. <laughs> All right. Of course, we're, we're looking for Mordecai's right now. Yeah, Mordecai. We're looking for Mordecai's. He who walks behind the rose. That's mm-hmm. right. I think it was Mordecai. I'm pretty sure it was. It was. Sounds Man. like a good magic corn name. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Oh my god, I think that's all. <laughs> Thanks for staying, if you were still listening. I'm sorry. We had to make up something for the news. Well, I don't know if I call it that, <laughs> that or not. Is that news? That's, <laughs> who's going to know Three Fingers Mordecai Brown? <laughs> that's news to a lot of folks. That sounds true. like that sounds like a blues musician. It does, I doesn't know. it? Well, if you don't know, it's new to you, right? Well, we only hey. had three fingers. I'm pretty sure it was singing the blues for some reason. Yeah, yeah. it's true. It's true. I'm sorry, honey. All right. <sighs> okay. The key? The key. Mm-hmm. Tiki. Torch. Tiki. Tiki.